take a moment to stop and reflect on the last time a close friend of theirs went through something very difficult and challenging, tuning into what was your response to them and to start thinking about vocabulary. So what words do we actually use? Start thinking about tone of voice and even body language. Hello and welcome to the Helping Organisations Thrive podcast. This is your host, Julian Roberts. This podcast is to provide leaders with insights, discussions and robust strategies to help their companies thrive. We'll be interviewing business leaders, owners, experts and thought leaders in the field of business resilience. Do enjoy the episode. Welcome to Helping Organisations Thrive. Uh, today, I have the great pleasure of Tom Cleary on the show. Good afternoon and welcome to you, Tom. Good afternoon. Lovely to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Yes, yeah, good to have you. Good to speak to you. And um, just going to tell the audience a little bit about you. You are a wellbeing and mental health consultant, trainer and coach, uh, specialising in mindfulness in education and business, and also wellbeing at work. And we're going to be tapping into your expertise later on to explore self-compassion in leadership what that means how we can have it and how it'll impact uh, our leadership on our teams but before we get into that conversation tom i'd like to ask you what do you love about what you do great question i love helping people i've got a very varied career multiple very very different kind of uh, roles i've played but the connecting theme for me is have i helped someone today so that's the thing I like doing, seeing somebody progress in what they're trying to do. When did you realise or know or understand that you found out that what, what you got you, what you love was that you like helping people? When What was that point in your career, in your life? It was actually, so um, one of my random things I did um, early in my career was around a dating agency. Um, and for me, it was about helping people to either find somebody that they really connected with um, or to boost confidence or to actually raise a happy being single, which was a big impact for some people as well. But someone said to me, what do you love about doing this? Um, and it actually, it wasn't about finding someone in a relationship. It was about seeing somebody actually thrive and feel more confident. And it was that point that I thought, actually, I love seeing people and helping someone to get more confident, especially. Hmm. And now you do it daily in your work, in your day to day, don't you? That's what that's what you do. You help organisations, you help individuals, and uh, so it must be great for you in what you're doing uh, every single day. Um, now we're going to we're going to talk about self compassion, and uh, what I'd like to get from you really is, uh, I suppose, a definition. How how would you explain self compassion uh, in leadership uh, to somebody? It's one of those things where there's lots of technical definitions out there, but if you think about it as treating yourself the way that you treat someone that you care about, and that could be a really valued team member, could be family or friends, but we tend not to do that. But it is about how can we treat ourselves as kindly as someone else that we we care about. Because there's a lot of talk about kindness, isn't there? Being kind at work, kind to people. And um, I think we often forget to be kind to ourselves. Um, feels like quite selfish, feels quite egotistical. It, finds, it seems very. And so so is there a problem with it? Do we do, do enough of it or why don't we do it? What's, what's the problem with it? So some, some great points there, which I'm going to try and pick up on. So um, 
especially over sort of lockdowns and COVID, what I was seeing and my colleagues were seeing was a huge increase in compassion and kindness to other people. So whether that was to um, complete strangers, entire communities, or to sort of loved ones that you maybe hadn't really appreciated until that point, people being very kind to others, but expectations on themselves. So a lot of people I knew, a lot of clients of mine were sort of working parents trying to juggle, working from home while homeschooling their children and feeling like they're failing on, on multiple counts. And it's the expectations on ourselves which are tending to cause problems. And there's a lot of talk about kindness um, in the workplace. And I know it puts some people off. And I would have been in that camp before. I'm somebody who um, I have no poker face if I think something it shows on my face very, very quickly. Um, but actually, um, when I was first introduced to the idea about sort of self-kindness and self-compassion, I asked my very first mindfulness teacher, could I skip this section? because it felt so uncomfortable for me. And I thought, I just, mm -hmm. I'm not a warm, fluffy, cuddly person. I'm just not like that at all. And it would hit all those buttons I thought just weren't, uh, weren't for me. And she turned around and went, we're doing double of that now, because it obviously is. <laughs> you. And um, so it may have cursed at the time, but um, it taught me. What, 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 sorry, what, what, what was it about at that point in your life that when you saw self-compassion self and self-kindness and went, oh, ugh. What was it about? Because you might be other people listening right now when they hear the word self-compassion and self-kindness and sounds a bit woo-woo and soft and vulnerable and ooh, soft and cuddly. That's not for me at all. I'm a leader. I'm strong. I'm fierce mm. and all that. What was it about that that made you think that way and feel that way? Um, all the things you've just said, they're kind of, um, it's too fluffy, it's too woo-woo, it's um, about being too vulnerable and being too exposed. I was a leader at the time. And um, I'm somebody who is um, or was a perfectionist. I'm very driven. I'm very focused on what I'm, I'm doing. And this felt like this huge departure from that into something that was full of rainbows and clouds and unicorns. And I just thought, it's just not for me. And every part of me was, was saying that. And it's quite a common um, barrier I have. I, I've done multiple sort of speeches and talks and workshops. And I often have to hide the phrase of compassion from the audience until they're in that room and they can't leave or hopefully don't leave too much. And then when I drop the phrase in, I will watch the room and just see what people's reactions by language is because you will get a lot of people who will physically sit back, cross their arms, go, no, no, not for me. Um, and I really empathise because that, that was me before. Uh, so what was it that got you to where you are now? Not only have you accepted it, understood it and obviously embracing it, you're now teaching people about it and sharing people about it. I mean, you've come from the student to now the master. I mean, there we go. And it must be laughable. Have you ever, did you ever go back to that lady or the man who was talking about it and at that sort of session? Because they'll just laugh. <laughs> she's sadly, she's passed away. Um, oh. But I, I would see, because actually she made a real impact on me. Um, it has been a, a complete change. And it started off when I started to see the impact on myself and the change it was making to, to my leadership and to my work. Then looking into it and seeing this enormous evidence base. And I went, okay, maybe it's not this woolly fluffy thing I'm, I'm assuming it is. And then for me, I have to see it working for other people that I, not just you know, through a research paper or a study, but people I'm working directly with. And over the years, I started to drip more and more of this into the work I was doing with people 
and I saw that impact. So I then had this sort of trilogy of there's evidence out there. Um, there is evidence on it working for me and for my clients as well. So just going to that, that evidence, because people do like evidence and, and sort of research papers and studies. Um, have you got any that would you be able to sort of share with us now that would sort of help embed that and sort of perhaps help people get over that little bump of, oh, I'm not so sure about this, just, just convince me a bit more? There's some, I, I would encourage people. So one of if people start looking into this, one of the key names behind it and the kind of, I would say, most famous researchers is Kristin Neff. And on her website, which is uh, self-compassion.org, you will um, find a link to research papers. Um, it, it breaks it down by business, by sport, things like that. The ones which sort of hit me quite early on were when they were working with high-level athletes. I think it was um, a Finnish team who were looking at burnout rates in Olympic athletes and how um, really pushing yourself and having these extremely high expectations worked well in the short term but was leading to burnout um, as well by the end of that and there's been quite a few stories over the last couple of years where high level athletes have come out and they've talked about having achieved all these things suddenly they are over my mental health issues and they're, they're just not coping very well mm-hmm. um, and there was research into the US military um, with veterans where they actually looked at um, rates of PTSD, rates of trauma, and even suicide um, rates were being decreased. I thought, okay, if it's hitting people who are top level in their sport and people who are going through arguably the most extremely challenging and stressful situation you can be in, and they're getting positives from it, that's what really sort of made the sort of change the corner for me. But um, the evidence out there now. I used to keep on top of it. If you kind of did a, a Google Scholar um, search, you'd get a certain number of hits coming out. That's con- it's increasing all the time. Um, but the best place to start is self.compassion, self-compassion.org. Research page is a really great one to have a look at. Yeah, and, she, and that Christian Neff, she's written a number of books as well, hasn't she? She, she has. Um, she... <sighs> I'm a big fan of helping people find stuff, which is uh, which is free and available out there. And there's lots of stuff that she's done. So um, loads of TED Talks, loads of podcasts, loads of YouTube videos. My one thing, I have a lot of clients who um, find Kristen Neff a little bit uh, difficult to empathize with or to um, uh, really kind of uh, link to because she will now specialize in certain um, areas of work. And there are other people out there who you can listen to. So I'm aware of some people who come to me before in the past and gone, I've heard the self-compassion stuff before. I've watched Kristen Neff. It's not for me. I don't like what it is. I was like, okay, do you not like the topic or the way it's being presented? Because with my clients, I encourage people to find the right coach or trainer for them. Kristen Neff has a delivery which people love and some people don't. So I, if people do look at her and go, mm, it's not for me, I would always encourage people to go, is it the topic or is it the delivery? Yeah, that's a really helpful thing in anything in life, really, isn't it? So sometimes mm-hmm. actually, you know, working with a coach or a consultant, it's, it's fine. And the person that, that resonates with you, you've got similar chemistry, similar thinking, similar values, uh, as, as opposed to the topic being uh, okay. It's just how it's delivered or who's delivering it. Uh, it's important to know. So we've got this self-compassion and we're talking in the context of leadership. Um, how does that, how does it out, how outplay itself? What's the practice of it? 
people see differently if they were being more self-compassionate about themselves in a day-to-day life in a workplace what would be the sort of signs or of, of that the biggest thing which is the first step to actually achieving it is an increase in self-awareness so leaders especially especially the ones i, I tend to work with often have a, a very sort of um, strong self-critical voice where something goes wrong or hasn't gone to plan they will be very um, critical about their performance, what's gone wrong, and will often beat themselves up for it. The first bit for some of them is realizing that's even happening and tuning into that particular kind of stream of consciousness. But when people start doing it and start to to change that, it has an impact on um, loads of things. So things like decision-making, creativity. If we're in that mindset of something's gone wrong, it's my fault, I now have to, you know, tell myself why I failed at something, mm-hmm. it shuts down lots of our brain systems in terms of how we can be creative, how we can problem solve, how we can empathize with people. And a lot of the skills that we need as a leader, especially in those points of crisis or change or stress, they're reduced by our, us being critical. So that's the biggest thing, awareness of that sort of negative uh, voice that we tend to have, and then beginning to shift that as well. And just, just leading into that really, um, if you were to think, okay, I want to, I started to understand this self-compassion. I can see there's some benefits. You talked about athletes getting reduced in, in burnouts and helping veterans as well. So I'm grabbing this, I'm, I'm embracing it. And, um, but what, what, what would I do to try and start to be more self-compassionate about, uh, within my leadership? Where, where do I start? You know, it, you, I mean, and obviously I don't need to deliver a webinar because I know you do things like that, but um, what are the sort of two, three things that people could sort of go away today and go, okay, listen to Tom, I'm going to do those three things and that's a good place to start. So what, what things would you recommend? So there's an exercise that I do with a lot of my groups. It's, it's a very common one, but it does it does make a difference. I get people to take a moment to stop and reflect on the last time a close friend of theirs went through something very difficult and challenging, tuning into what you're on a good day, because we all have days when we're possibly not at our, at our best, but on a good day, what was your response to them? And to start thinking about vocabulary, so what words do we actually use, start thinking about tone of voice and even body language. So you collect those and then you contrast it with, okay, and the last time I failed, something went wrong for me, exactly the same thing. So we gather vocabulary, the words that we use, we gather tone of voice and even body language. And the contrast for most people is, is quite stark. And there are a lot of leaders who are, they're practicing quite compassionate and um, they very good empathy with their, their staff. But when you look at the way they are treating themselves, it, it's a big difference. So the awareness bit starts coming from, from there. I then get people to pick um, a key phrase we tend to have a go-to so something's gone wrong what's the first thing I say to myself and it can be as simple as you idiot and it could be a lot more um colorful than that for many people um and to write that one down and to have it I have it like um I did my first one on my desk and on my fridge because it was a home and, uh, and a work thing and um every time you catch yourself saying that just noticing it not trying to change it yet but just noticing mm. that and then the third step after that would be, can I replace that with a realistic but more supportive um, phrase or sentence and say it to myself in a tone of voice where if somebody who was on my team 
who tried their best, had made a mistake, and I wanted to support them and guide them through that, what would be the language and the tone of voice that I would use for them and bring that into my own way? Mm. So that awareness of the contrast, the identification of our kind of go-to phrases, mm. and then beginning to replace. That's that's the sort of initial sort of three steps I do with most of my, my sort of workshops. I mean, it's trying to challenge the 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 harshness that we have with ourselves, isn't it? Uh, and I like that exercise where you then, you know, think about somebody else friend of yours something's gone wrong what would you do you would say nice things you'd be more supportive you'd say you do all those more positive things you won't go you idiot um some people might um but generally most people would be more kind but actually then just flipping it i like that then suddenly be like that to yourself and that's 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 a good place to start isn't it it is like i will add a sort of caveat into that as well when you're thinking about that try not to have um close family or a partner because often we we don't do that with our partners because we have a safe relationship where we can actually be sometimes quite brutal a close friend is the best one of doing it with because there's that kind Mm. of closeness to somebody but we don't have that bit where we're going to be possibly as harsh as we would do to somebody who we live with all the time there there is a difference between those two those two things no no i agree we are sometimes harsher with our nearest and dearest than than sort of people on the street to be honest which is a, an interesting thing to to challenge as well um so we do that and we start to get you start to get more aware you start to i suppose dial up your emotional intelligence of yourself of what's going on and start to to sense that and i think awareness is really good by doing that and you get this sort of self-compassion and you're not as harsh on yourself and you're, you're not kinder to yourself and more realistic and supportive um What's the so what with that? Why do, why does that have an impact? Why does that change you? Why does that have an impact on those around you if you're in a leadership role? Uh, and how does that have a greater impact on the organisation as well? So the biggest thing behind it is a lowered risk of burnout. So a lot of leadership teams I work with, and I come from an education background working with school leaders as well, there is a huge rate of burnout in that. And a lot of it's been linked back to the way that the expectations are set for us and the way that we react at times of failure. So straight away, decreasing risk of burnout for leadership teams is something which tends to hook people into doing that. But also there's a lot, you mentioned emotional intelligence earlier, there's a lot of research which shows that by becoming more aware, (coughs) excuse me, and more self-compassionate, we end up being more emotionally intelligent and we can then role model that to our um, teams and staff as well. It also takes away elements where um, some people I work with who are aspiring leaders, they will talk about barriers as being, um, I've got a a CEO or I've got a leader who, for me, they look sort of infallible. They look like they can cope with everything. And I couldn't I couldn't do that. Now, the reality is for that person, they, they won't be infallible. There'll be lots of things that they aren't necessarily showing but it can be a barrier to people going, that is an unrealistic thing. I, I can't do that. It's been shown that teams will trust their leaders more if there is an acknowledgement of weaknesses, of not knowing, of wanting to learn and wanting to wanting to grow. And that will encourage people also to um, take more risks in, in a good way. And also then see if people want to move into leadership themselves as well. And it all ties back into having that sort of trust and safety in an organization where mm. if people are making mistakes, we have to you have to find that, we have to support that. But if we've got a culture which doesn't feel safe to uh to, to staff 
actually there's much more likelihood of them sort of covering things up, things not coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, there's an amazing book I recommend to a lot of my clients, um, Black Box Thinking, which compares the airline industry with the kind of uh, medical profession and how the impact of covering things up in a culture compared to bringing things into the open and being supportive has on every part of the, the structure of the business. I guess you're talking there also about psychological safety, isn't it? Creating an environment where <clears throat> people can be transparent, people can show um, the mistakes they've made and they're not going to be sort of hold over the calls, calls for it and um, be supportive, but what can you learn from it and move on and everything else. So that's um, really important. I guess self-compassion, I've read that also being more self-compassionate, you tend to be more compassionate to others. Actually, it fosters that, it develops this, which is – because people feel that I've heard some like negativity where oh, if, you, if you're talking about self all the time, then you won't be compassionate to the people. Actually, that might be some studies. And I know where people are more self-compassionate tend to be more compassionate as well than those who are not, which is an interesting one, isn't it? It, it is. And it, it works in two ways because um, I know some people who work in roles where they are very compassionate to other people who are probably the least self-compassionate. So they've got loads to give to other people. And people who are in leadership roles, um, HR teams as well, uh, teachers, social workers, tend to be kind of rife for that sort of thing. Mm. Um, So actually, when we think about applying those skills and taking it into applying it to you, they have all the skills already. It's just getting comfortable with doing it to, to themselves. There is a concern for some people that that then would make somebody uh, more self-indulgent. There's fears about being kind of you know pitying yourself or whatever. It's not the case at all. And yes, it's been shown that somebody who becomes more self-compassionate is able to um, understand that from a much more personal level and therefore apply it to people who are mm-hmm. around them to model that. And again, there's a ripple effect of if you've got a leader who is... Um, showing self-compassion and the research on almost every element of, of well-being, success, resilience shows a link between self-compassion and, and success in those areas. If a leader is modeling that and their team are rippling that and, and sort of taking mm. that with them, there's a fantastic impact from that as well. But I, I will, if it's okay, Jim, just the, the pity thing and the kind of, you know, self-indulgence thing is um, one of the biggest barriers to people. There is a, a worry mm. for people that, um, if I do this, I'm going to uh, lose my motivation. I'm not going to kind of be accountable for things. And I, I'm a, a lot of people I work with, they are very high achievers. They want to do their best. They want to achieve something. Um, and the fear is if I start becoming self-compassionate, I'm going to lose that. Um, all the research points to the opposite. So it is a recognised mm. uh, barrier, but it's not a true one. But it's also getting to that understanding that actually being compassionate to some individual, whether that's to yourself or to another, is not about pitying somebody. It's not about just patronising or patting someone on the back. It's actually genuinely getting alongside people and saying, I'm sorry you feel like that. How can I help you and support you and provide that support, isn't it? It's not about pussyfooting around in a sense. And I think it's getting that clarity of what compassion is and then just turn that on yourself. And the more you turn on yourself, actually – just by you sort of modeling it, you're going to do that to other people as well. In fact, you're probably going to be better because actually you, you're still going to be a little bit probably harsh on yourself. I'm sure there's more of that. Um, and I think I think what I've, I'm taking from this is, which I think I really like, is that it, it really, for me, is fostering a lot more self-awareness. It's mm-hmm. 
being attuned to yourself, attuned to your thinking, attuned to what's going on, thinking things through, and almost doing that, they call it, is it metacognition, where you're almost kind of the third person on yourself. And actually, there's some real value in that, certainly in resilience, certainly in problem solving, certainly in trying to get through situations, actually just take yourself out of it a little bit. Uh, and some real powerful things in that, isn't there? There is, the meta-awareness part is one of the biggest bits of this, and it's why when you break down self-compassion, one of the elements there is mindfulness, which I know is also a bit of a Marmite topic. I'm a mindfulness teacher, and I some of my favourite clients are those who have hated mindfulness when they first come across it. It's been quite commercialised and misunderstood. The mindfulness element in self-compassion is the fact that when something goes wrong for us, we tend to either... Um, dive into it and we make it even bigger than it is and it, it sort of blows up out of all proportion or we will try and ignore it push it away deny that and neither of those works particularly well the self-awareness bit in the mindfulness is where somebody goes this is the reality of what's happening to me right now I can accept that and in order to accept that I can then move on to the next bit so the self-awareness is a really key part of it hmm. Well, we could probably talk uh, a lot longer on this topic, uh, Tom. Uh, it's really good. I really enjoyed it. I, I think it's a worthy of, of more discussions with people um, and making it it's a robust thing. It's not a, an airy-fairy thing. It's quite robust. It's really helpful, helpful for your self-awareness talked about, helpful other people in terms of the impact on other people and what people see in you. Uh, and we know burnout's huge out there, and so this is another one to actually – center yourself a little bit more be more mindful and actually prevents burnouts uh, which is obviously not a bad thing as well so um i think there's, there's a lot of positiveness and i think people need to start exploring this and find it for themselves how they how they do it for themselves that you get a great example uh, which i thought was brilliant in terms of how to, to sort of start that journey uh, if people are interested in in a connecting with you or b understanding what you do uh, how's the best way of doing that uh linkedin is the best way um thank you for asking julian it's um so if you search for tom cleary coaching you should find me on there and my website tom-cleary.co.uk is also available um linkedin's often better because if someone's coming to me for this i'd like to understand where they're coming from so uh, they drop me a message i'm happy to reply to you and even if all i'm doing for you is so i'm pushing you towards a great resource or a talk i'm very happy to do that Brilliant. Well, thank you for your time today. Thank you for your insights. Uh, really enjoyed that. And um, we've hopefully all learned something and we've got something takeaways as well. Thank you very much, Tom. Thank you so much for having me on here. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode. If you do like this episode, then please do rate, review and share with your friends and colleagues. As a coaching practice, we coach high performing leaders and teams with extreme ambitions. We'll help you to go beyond what you believe is possible. If this sounds like you, then let's have a conversation with me. Contact me at julianrobertsconsulting.com. <laughs>